Hello, I'm Leroy Garcia, and this is Blue Rain Gallery Podcast. Today, uh, in our studio, my home studio, we have a very special guest, and um, Mozart Abita. We knew him as Gabriel Mozart Abita, and uh, we want to talk and, and share his journey with you, with the audience. And um, I've known Gabe since he was a baby. And now he's a grown-up man with a, a fledgling career that's going to the stars. Um, I represented his father, Tony Abeda, for 21-plus years and in Blue Rain Gallery. His mom is a very famous designer, and we'll talk a little bit about both of them as we go along. But I'd like to welcome Gabe. Welcome, Gabe. Hey, how's it going? <laughs> Good. Um, so <clears throat> what was it like coming from an artistic family? It was, um, it's probably one of the best things ever. I was very grateful to have my mom and dad um, because they gave me opportunities to, to kind of do whatever I really, really, really wanted. And they had a different perspective of life all the time. So my mom was very passionate and very contemporary. Where rather my dad in the beginning of his career was very confused and, it's, and it's, it's funny because I see a lot of myself in my mother and I see a lot of myself I see a lot of my little sister and my dad and my sister at the moment she doesn't know what she kind of really wants and I knew that there was this my mom was kind of a sense of a muse and they helped each other out a lot and I thought that was really really magical that you could see stories within paintings and you know the biggest responsibility I mean the big thing about being indigenous and Native Americans were we're all storytellers my mom made it very clear that clothes had their own stories as well. And so when you ever saw her designs, they all had different stories within it. And then when you got to see my dad's paintings, there was different stories within it too. So you have two different cultures there that you were influenced by. Your mom, obviously, she's Taos Pueblo uh, native, and then your father is Navajo, uh, Tony Abeda. Um, how, did, how, did, um, how did those two cultures influence you? So I grew up extremely traditionally in Taos Pueblo. My mom was very strict about it. I had to do ceremonies all the time. <clears throat> and I didn't know anything about my Navajo side, really. All I knew was that my name was Abini Ashki, which is the boy who brings the day, or early morning boy. And uh, I knew that we were from Gallup and, uh, and from Tahajale. <clears throat> and I think that was it on the Navajo side. But I knew that... Um, I knew a lot more being from Taos, from the ceremonies. And, you know, it's, it's funny because I, I, I do music now. And the first time I ever started singing was ceremony songs. Mm. So when I was singing these ceremonial songs, I didn't know subconsciously that these songs would stay with me for the rest of my life. And then they would be projected out later in my career at the age of 31. <clears throat> so for, for our audience, um, in our first season of podcasts, Blue Ring Gallery podcast. Um, Mozart produced the music uh, for the intro and, and the end, and that has very much that influence uh, in it that you're describing, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. And they're they're really it's, it was really fun writing the songs for for this uh, the series is because it was it was just they're very meditative and they're very strong and they're very present, and I think that's what's really really magical about going back there because I think when I was younger. Especially, you know, growing up in the time that I did, 
you watched MTV and you didn't see anybody who was Native American. You watched VH1 and you didn't see anybody who was Native American. You were quite embarrassed. And I knew going from the reservation, everybody either was going to be black or white, you know? And nobody wanted to be, you know, that kind of perspective. They, so they all kind of gravitated towards hip-hop. I didn't understand hip-hop. It never related with me. That rhythm and that melody didn't resonate in the same way that you, you hear a ceremonial song where it's like, yo, yo. Like that, that made sense to me. And then when you listen to rock music, it it just got faster. It's like, yeah, yeah, <laughs> you know, nice. yeah. That, that's beautiful. That's yeah. wonderful. Um, another another interesting thing uh, about Mozart here is, for many years, as he was um, late teenager into his twenties, he produced a lot of our videos for Blue Ring Gallery as well. And so I knew you first as a a producer in a sense uh, for Blue Ring Gallery and marketing. And uh, it was interesting. I, I I knew you were like, play the guitar here and there, but I had no idea that you were going to take it to this level. When did you do this, decide to transition from video to music? Or yeah. are you still incorporating both? Yeah. So that's, I had no idea either. I had no idea that I was going to do music. Um, I started working for Blue Ring Gallery with you guys. And that was such an amazing experience because I got to have one of the best education systems by learning from different artists. And I got to see the expression, you know, I remember seeing so many different artists do so many different things and they all had different styles and there was a sense of confidence and there was a sense of story within that too. At the end of the day, I think everything I do is story. I'm gonna probably say that I'm, my career is storytelling. I do it within film or color grading or painting or within music. And so, I just got done making tons of music videos in Nashville, and then I started to see all my work was getting repetitive. I was getting, having the same colors, having the same kind of vibe, and I didn't want to feel that this was it for me. I, I learned everything I did from Vancouver Film School, and so I wanted to get a master's degree in stop-motion animation. The first thing that ever made me want to become an artist was Gumby. And I was like, let me take it back there, and like the old Sinbad movies. And I was like, I've always wanted to do that. I can do that now. And so there was a great school that was very affordable. And is it Vancouver? Uh, no, Vancouver. Or, or, or what was the school? Where was the school? So this school was in Barcelona. Oh, okay. And so um, I uh, was going to get my master's degree in, in Barcelona for stop motion animation. It was really great because I got to work with a lot of the teachers who worked on Corpse Bride and Fantastic Mr. Fox and, <clears throat> and um, Wallace and Gromit which was like really, really cool because I grew up with all that stuff. Right. I was very heartbroken because my second fiance um, broke my heart and we didn't, our, our marriage wasn't going to work. And so uh, I was, I spent a lot of my time drinking and sadly I've always had this strange feeling because coming from Taos Pueblo and being fortunate enough to travel and do all these things, everything I've done has been to try to help my Pueblo out. You know, we come from a village. We don't do things selfishly. We take care of everybody who's our family and the younger ones. And as I get older, I'm becoming an elder. And I have a certain responsibility to experience life and tell those stories to the younger generation. And I started drinking a lot because I was very confused of why there was so much alcoholism. And 
I wanted to understand it. And then it was supposed to be an experiment, but it just ended up turning me into an alcoholic. And I just got really depressed, and I kept doing that. And we have this thing called a senwema, which means be a man. Mm-hmm. And what be a man in Taos Pueblo means is be good to your family, be good to your village, be good to yourself. I mean, that's what being a man is in our Pueblo. And so I, I knew that I couldn't keep drinking that way. So I went up on stage. Something was calling me out and said, like, just go sing a song, you know? It's what, and it's, it's, it's funny because subconsciously I think that, like, that's how we've survived for such a long time. Like, ceremonies keep us strong. They keep us, mm-hmm. they keep everybody together. And I had a song called Hold Back. And subconsciously, that was funny, too, because I was holding back on all the things that I ever did. And then I sang that song vulnerably with all my heart. Was that the first time on stage? Yes. <laughs> nice. It was, it's, it's funny because I lived in Nashville, and I, and I should have sang in Nashville. And it took me 28 years to go and sing. You know, um, I'll tell you, Gabe, um, just a, a quick thought. Um, I never understood... <clears throat> what it meant to expose yourself uh, as an artist until I created my own stuff. And there's such a vulnerability. <laughs> there. You could have had eggs thrown at you, and then you could have had some ladies, they loved it, or guys, you know what I mean? <laughs> it, it's just such a mixed bag of, oh, that's crappy work, or that's so beautiful. You know? yeah. It's just an amazing. So you had a lot of guts, you did it, how did it turn out? It, that first experience. It was the most scariest thing. I could not describe how terrified and, I, and I've been through a lot of terrifying things and that was definitely one of the most scariest it's hard to be that vulnerable like you said and when I did it everybody really liked it and it got me a band and people wanted to play with me and I made it this best friend named Alex Bedford and he was like hey man like like he saw how nervous I was before I went up on stage and then he gave me this guitar pick and it was like a pick of friendship because right after then he took me to all the other open mics in Barcelona. We just did it every single night. Mm-hmm. After that one moment, I played, I promise you, I played every single night for the next two years. Mm-hmm. And there wasn't a night that we didn't do it. Mm-hmm. And I was getting to know myself. And the other most amazing thing about being in Barcelona, being on stage, is that when you're in the United States and you're Native American, sometimes you feel like feels like you have a job to explain yourself. And Barcelona is such an international city that nobody cared if I was Native American enough. I mean, nobody cared if I was Native American or not. And any fault that I had was my own responsibility. I couldn't blame it on the government. I couldn't blame it on, you know, whatever it was that America was doing to Native Americans. I just had to be myself. And I got to know who I was through my songs. And with my band and with the audience. And then when I got to be as vulnerable as I was on stage with the, with everyone else. And then, and I got to make that eye contact. It validated really quickly. Everything who I was, was okay. The good, the bad, the sad, the depressing, the ugly, the beautiful. Something that you said uh, a little back in this interview, um, as your career is gone and you, you just went at it, um, you found replication happening, but you became aware of that. And sometimes, because I live mostly in the 3D or the 2D world, and uh, some of these artists get stuck in that rut the same way, Mm -hmm. don't they? 
um, where they, they come up with this innovative idea and that's all they paint the rest of their life, the same thing, but in different ways, but still the same thing. Mm-hmm. And it's amazing that it resonated with you in music. Because that's an important thing, because um, when I think about longevity in an art career, um, I think about people like your dad, or I, I think about my ex, um, Tammy Garcia. They're, they're constantly innovating, and I, I think there was periods in their, their past where they found the same thing, replicating, replicating. Um, what's interesting, too, is that your mom has always been out there in constant innovation. I've never seen her flatline and replication, replication. Like it's, she's always blowing it up in different ways. And so I, I just think that's wonderful that you've uh, figured that out this young. Because a lot of people go through a lifetime before they're like, eh, innovation is where longevity is. And in your genre, some of my favorites, uh, well, one of my favorites is Jack White because he can do anything and everything. And he's not boring at all. And it's always, everything's always different. And I, I think that's where you're headed. And I'm pretty happy about that for you. Yeah, I love I love Jack White too. I've gotten the chance to see him. Actually, I only got to see him here in Albuquerque, which was really nice. The Sunshine, yeah, theater. It was, this is such an amazing show. Yeah, I I was able to see his first uh, uh, his well, the elephant I think came out. Was oh, it? nice! And uh, I I went to um, Indianapolis and I had front row seat there, and I was just shocked at how hard he played. Um, he had a, he had a set guy on the side and, uh, he would play his song so hard after each song, he'd just trade out the guitar cause there was no strings left, <laughs> but he could play all the, he could play all the chords with whatever was left, but yeah. he's constantly trading that stuff out. That's amazing. He's super creative that way. Yeah. Oh, it's, it's, it's funny you mentioned something about the, you know, there's a huge difference I think with sometimes my mom and my dad. And it's funny because, um, uh, I make that joke. I mean, like, I'm allowed to make this joke because that's I'm the son of of my dad, and so it's just like, Dad, you've been painting that same landscape forever, and but that landscape is really that consistency of making that image has really made his career grow really it's, big. It's because he's constantly evolving that landscape. Yeah, that's true. And the, the problem is, is that say, for example, my mom, on the other hand, always inventing new things, is one of the most cool and inspiring things in the world but it doesn't hold as as strong as the sense of like what what can we hold on to in a sense and i've had that conversation with my mother recently is that i know because recently native native art is is finally rising and now it seems like we have to pay our dues and the problem with my mother is is that everyone's always said that her work is not native american enough and we've been having this discussion of like, why doesn't she get to these places that we feel like she should be? Like, didn't she pay her dues all through the 90s and early thousands? And it's just because sometimes the media doesn't see that it's trusting enough that it's, it's, it's native enough, you know? And I realize, and, I, and it's a sad thing that we have to talk about sometimes. It's just like, well, do we have to sell out in the beginning for us to gain the trust of others? It's like... And that's such an upsetting thing because here's here's my mom wanting to just be 100% herself, just grab all of those things and like, and just transform, make it contemporary, which I've always loved about her. Well, with with Patricia, I've always seen her more as a as an artist, artist. Not I, I don't see her as somebody who's used her her native heritage to advance herself. She's mm-hmm. used her creativity to advance herself mm-hmm. without color or 
those lenses that we like to put on each other or on others. Um, and and I, I, when she was on Project Runway, that that was amazing. We were also proud of her, um, and and it created a, um, an opportunity for her to express her heritage. But in her clothing, there's hints of it. But I think Patricia is more purely artistic than anything else, and that's beautiful. I like that. Well said. Yeah. I agree. <laughs> so. Tell us about some things you've had to overcome besides the alcoholism. Um, let's see. Other things I've had to overcome. <clears throat> alcoholism was definitely a, a tough one. Dyslexia was another one. That's the one I was wanting you to talk about. Cool. Uh, so dyslexia is, I didn't know I was dyslexic until I was um, 14. So I lived my whole entire life feeling that I was really stupid um, I remember going to reservation school and they wanted to put me into a mental institute because they thought I was just wanting more attention. Um, I remember just not understanding why I felt so, um, strange. And the other great thing about being dyslexic is you see life in such a different way and you perceive information in so many different ways, which I really, really love and value. It's, it's been a, it's been such a shame because I've never been able to read books. People always are always talking about these great books that they get to read, and I'm sad that I don't get to do that, but I get to see storytelling through, you know, dance movements and fashion, and like I've said before, like I feel like I'm a storyteller, and I think that's grown my storytelling skills. But, you know, what's really, really amazing is that um, traditionally in Taos Pueblo, it's against our religion to have and against our beliefs to have a written language. So everything has to be to uh, spoken through memory and through song and through ceremony. So it only made sense to find music and find, you know, film through that way. And I didn't, I never wanted to make any excuses for it. And I was very proud to have um, my scripts accepted into the Sundance Institute. And, you know, when I got beginnings of my heart accepted into the Sundance Institute, as that just as a script i have never felt more proud of anything my whole life i was just so happy to know that i was this kid who couldn't even spell because or my full name at the age of 14 and had to like really really struggle hard on it and i just said you know what i'm just gonna do it i'm gonna tell the story nothing's gonna stop me but you know what's really great about screenplays is that i feel they're very dyslexic friendly because when you have a book there's just too many words and then you get lost and then with the screenplay, you have, you know, just a small paragraph and then a name, dialogue, dialogue, dialogue. And it's just that really helped my brain understand a structure because it just made things more simplified. Well, I'm proud of you overcoming that as well, because I know that's a struggle. There's been members of my own family that have had those mm -hmm. same things. And and uh, society wants to put them away without really understanding. <laughs> you know, I have a brother who struggled in, in uh, school and they, they wanted to put them in the special ed class, as we called it at yeah. that time. And, and uh, what is it? After 22 years of college, he is a double postdoc working for the CDC, you know, a very intelligent person. Yeah. One of the smartest in our country in yeah. epidemiology. Well, I think that's amazing because it's, we, we don't all receive information in just one way and receiving information in different ways is, is very, and I think that's really helped a lot of my TikTok as well because, um, when I try to give information about culture appropriation, uh, about native culture, I do it in the sense that it's 
There's a lot of people on TikTok who like to scold and yell and make you feel ashamed of what you are. And that works for them. For me, I just don't want to be taught that way. I, I got taught that way and it, it pissed me off and made me angry. And, you know, I just want to sit down and say like, hey, this is what happened and this is how it is. And right. you can receive information in a different way. And, you know. Well, um, Mozart was telling me that he has close to 100,000 followers on his TikTok. What's the what's your handle on that? Is it just Mozart Obeda or It's Mozart Gabriel official. Oh nice. Okay. So for those who want to see him on TikTok. Yeah. Go there and share. Right? <laughs> yep. Yep. Now, um tell me about the latest why are you here in Albuquerque and what are you doing? So we got offered to record our second album. I just finished my first album. Somebody just recently listened to it. And it was it was quite insane because I spent I spent pretty much I spent about a good majority of money, about, I think about at least 6500 on my last album. And I, and I literally just had to play show after show after show after show. And, and then also TikTok funded a lot of that, which I was really grateful for. <clears throat> but we shot it all during the quarantine. I mean, we, we recorded all of it in the quarantine, and it was really hard. It was really, really a difficult album. It took about almost like a year and a half just to make because we had to record in our apartment rooms, and we had to record in a studio, and then we had to record and all these different locations, but none of it sounded consistent. And then I sent all the music to um, one of my favorite bands in Nashville, um, Repeat Repeat, and he mixed he mixed the whole album, which oh, was nice. was really really nice. I'd be that would be a challenge to be the mixer of that, right? I know he was he's incredible though. He's so 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 incredible. He was really nice. He cared a lot, and that's exactly what I needed. You know, I needed somebody who to really really love and care because it was such a passion project for me. And this was such a vulnerable uh, album. And so <clears throat> we got done with that. And then Kenny uh, contacted us and he says like, hey, I want to I produce your next album. Uh, Native American rock needs to exist, in, especially in Albuquerque, New Mexico. I want, I, want to, I, want, I want Native artists to be able to feel like they can come to a studio in their hometown in their homeland and not have to go travel somewhere else to try to find their tone. And I think what's, what's really beautiful is that the recording studio is, is a, in a 300 year old building that's made out of Adobe and it's next to the river. And then that, like when you hear those drums being recorded, they sing. And when you hear that guitar, when we record it, it sings and none of it is digital, which is like really amazing because the last album, all digital. All digital. Hmm. And, and it really hurts my feelings because like I, I love the last album I did, but I can always hear the digital tone of like, nee! there's like this little tiny ring and like people, and I, I love the fact that we're in there. And, you know, as I, I, I always think I'm very, very still punk rock. And then my punk rock mentality says like, just record whatever you got. Just do it on your iPhone. It'll Make it great. raw, right? Yeah. And, but this, what, what Kenny has done with this album, I think is so beautiful because he, he doesn't try to make a dead room. He wants the room to sing. We were talking about one of my favorite albums is OK Computer. And that, that album has its own room tone and its own room sound. And I think that's what's really, really magical about it. Nice. Well, I heard a, a, a cut you had posted on um, Instagram, and I, I like it. It's good. I was telling one of the servers at Chili's yeah. about, about you, and he looked you up, and he's, he's listened to all your music. It's, it's kind of funny. Um, let, let me ask a, 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 one, a last question here. There are native musicians, mm -hmm. in fact, from your own village. Um, who's inspired you the most from the native spectrum? 
Um, there's a lot of new great native artists, and I'm so excited about it because that was a dream, you know, growing up and not being able to see that on TV. Now I get to see it and play with them. Um, I think that my cousin's potency, they're doing really, really amazing things, and they sing incredibly beautiful. And I just recently had somebody want to interview me about something about making some like talks and posts about Taos Pueblo and do stuff. And I said, I didn't want to do it without them because I said that, you know, as a village, we need to take care of each other and they're working just as hard as I am. And I don't want to leave them out on anything. So Potency has done a really, really good job. And I'm so proud of them. They, they sing so powerful and beautifully. And I would love to get, I'd love to start working with them on a bunch of other things. I just realized that I'm, um, I'm related to Levi Patero. Mm-hmm. And it was really funny because he's, I don't know if you know his music, but he's an incredible blues guitarist. He's oh, nice. really so strong and so powerful and I'm so proud of him. And like, I, I saw him play on like on social media and I was like, man, this guy's incredible. <laughs> and like, I, I remember actually going to his show and I recorded a, um, a video and it was like a, at least a five minute guitar solo and it was epic <laughs> and it was funny because i was just like i'm gonna go see levi patero my mom was like oh you're related to them i was like really he's like yeah your dad's side is related to the Plateros." and i was just like it's like no way and i went to his show and i and i said like hey we're cousins he's like are we and i was just like yeah for my dad's side and this was like come here family and he gives me this big old hug and it was it's really great we're planning to work on a couple songs together and i'm really excited about that nice and then the last I would have to say is I'm really grateful to Native Guitar Tours and I'm really grateful for Jir doing so much for the Native music community. And I think the one thing I'm really happy about is how amazing everybody is when when it comes to that Native Guitar Tours festivals because everybody's so supportive and so nice and really respectful. And I, I love them for that. Wonderful. Well, you know that this coming year is the... 100 year anniversary of Swaya. And so um, Kim Martindale, myself, Swaya, and all of the business communities, museums have gotten together. And we started what's called Indigenous Celebration 2022. And uh, we're, we're trying to get a national advertising campaign off the floor uh, to generate the publicity we like and and they were talking about all these wonderful art uh contribute like uh modeling and just art itself like painters and sculptors and blah blah blah. and i'm like well what about the native art uh, music scene and i I think that should be featured as well so we're working on some ideas to bring some bands um you know some of your elders uh robert mirabal and um Robbie Romero and all mm-hmm. those, all those mm-hmm. guys. It'd be nice to and then intermix them with some of you young whippersnappers, and uh, maybe put a put a show together, you know. And so that's that's on that's on the. We're trying to develop that right now. That's awesome. So That'd if we pretty... if we can get the funding, we'd like you to participate. Oh, we'd love to. So, well, Gabe, thank you for coming in today. Uh, appreciate your journey, uh, your artistic journey. Uh, appreciate your family and their contributions as well. Thank you for watching Blue Rain Gallery Podcast. I'd like to encourage you to find us on uh, any of the platforms from our own website, bluerangallery.com, uh, to YouTube, or any of those platforms. Um, like to also encourage you to visit us on our uh, blue rain, uh, printshop.com to bring art into your everyday life.
Thank you, Gabe, for coming. Thank you, Tom. <laughs> nice. <laughs>